0: This is week number four of our sermon series called Watch Your Mouth. The goal of this series is to help us all be more thoughtful about the words we speak because words have so much power for good and bad. They can make us or break us, so we need to be very careful with what we say. In week one, I challenged you to be positive and quit complaining. In week two, I challenged you to tell the truth at all times. In week three, which was last week, I challenged you to mind your own business and avoid gossiping. And today, I want to challenge you to avoid quarreling by simply agreeing to disagree. Somebody said opinions are like noses, everybody's got one. And that is true. You can name almost any subject and you will find people who will see it differently. Uh, Name a restaurant, some people will like it and some people won't. Name a style of music, some people will like it and some people won't. Name a book or a movie, some people will like it and some people won't. I can't think of really anything in the world that everybody sees the same, that everybody agrees on. Now what's good about this is that it uh, makes our culture such a rich tapestry of choices and options. But what's bad about it is that it sets up the potential for a lot of arguments, a lot of quarrels, because some people are very strong in their opinions, and they like to argue, and they want to fight for their opinions. We see this in politics. Uh, Politics these days is just one big nasty quarrel. But we also see it in church. And you might find this to be a little uh, surprising because you might think that people who love Jesus would be more laid back and uh, inclined to just get along, agree to disagree when they have different opinions. But I can tell you that that's not always the case. Um, Some of the nastiest arguments and quarrels in the history of the world (laughs) have happened among God's people. Based on my four and a half decades of uh, working with uh, church quarrels, I can tell you that they pretty much all fall into four basic categories. First of all, maybe the most obvious one would be simply personal preferences. I saw a cartoon one time, it showed two preachers talking and they were comparing scars on their bodies. And one preacher had his... Sleeve rolled up, and he was pointing to a big scar on his arm. And he said, yes, I got this one on July 19th, 1995. That was the first day we had a drum set in our morning worship service. <laughs> and let me tell you something. I was around in the 90s. And I can tell you that those days when the church started to transition from hymn book singing with a piano and organ, to more contemporary music, with a band. Whoa, those were some tough, tough days for a lot of churches. There were people who wanted to cling to those uh, hymn books and and those old hymns, and then there were people who wanted to get rid of the old songs and fully embrace the new songs, and a lot of churches... Went through some very dark times with some pretty nasty quarrels um, during that time of transition. And this church is no exception. Uh, Not many of you were around back in the middle 1990s, early to middle 1990s, but I was here. And I remember um, some people had some very, very strong opinions, personal preferences. Secondly, a lot of arguments among Christians center around church traditions. For example, when we moved into this building in 2003, we decided to change the way we passed the communion trays, which we just did a few minutes ago. Uh, in the old building, some of you are old enough or been around here long enough to remember, in the old building, we had a communion table that sat right here in front of the pulpit. And the servers would come forward and gather around the communion table and pick up the trays, and then they would fan out and and pass those trays. But when we moved into this building, I decided I wanted us to do it different. Um, I wanted the servers to pick up the trays in the back of the room, which is what we do now. We've done it ever since we moved in here. And the reason I wanted to do that is because I wanted to create the best possible worship moment for you all. And I felt like the less walking around, the less movement there was up here, um, the less distracting it would be. Fewer things to watch, fewer things to um, go wrong. If somebody drops something or whatever, everybody's looking at what's going on. So I thought, well, if we pick up the trays in the back of the room and then come forward and and pass them to the back, there'll be fewer distractions. And uh, so that's what we did. And so the, the first Sunday in this building... We had our service kind of with the new format and no com- communion table in the front. And after the service, first Sunday, a lady came almost running up to me and said, uh, where's the communion table? Where's the communion table? And I said, well, we don't have a communion table anymore. And she said, we don't have a communion table. We can't have a church without a communion table. And I said, well, we just did. And that... May not have been the wisest thing I could have said at that moment. (laughs) Because she was really angry. And I tried to explain to her that uh, there's nothing in the Bible about communion tables. That it's uh, something we're trying to do to create fewer distractions. She was not buying it. She was really, really angry. Uh, But all because of a church tradition. Again, not a scriptural thing, just a tradition. Thirdly, a lot of arguments among Christians center around how to spend the Lord's money. Most churches have very tight finances, and so every expenditure has to be weighed very carefully. What is a frivolous expense and what is a necessary expense? What I've learned is that two... Really, honestly, good Christians can look at the same item, the same program, and one can see a complete waste of money, and the other one can see something that is absolutely essential. And it's amazing how that happens, but it does. And sometimes people get all worked up and angry over some expenditure uh, that the church makes. And then fourthly, a lot of arguments among Christians have to do with what I call simply insignificant details. Tom Rainier is a well-known church leadership expert, and he asked his Twitter followers not long ago, most of whom are ministers and church leaders, to share the worst quarrel they had ever seen in their church. What was it about? And he got lots of responses, and I want to share a few with you this morning, and And these are some you can look up on his website. There's a lot more than these, but here are a few that jumped out at me. Uh, One pastor said that a major squabble broke out in his church over the length of the worship minister's beard. (laughs) Apparently the worship worship minister had been a Duck Dynasty fan and kind of saw all those big beards and decided he was going to grow a big one. And I don't know, I guess there's a, a point at which it became sinful. I don't know. I mean, maybe if it's here, it's okay, but if it's here, it's not okay. And when I read that, I thought, I am thankful that we have a female worship minister, so we don't ever have to face that problem. Another pastor said there was a huge uproar in his church when some people found out that the folks filling the communion cups were using cran grape juice instead of plain grape juice. Because that little bit of cranberry juice in there ruins everything. Because everybody knows that Jesus used plain old Welch's grape juice when he did it (laughs) 2,000 years ago. Everybody knows that, right? Another pastor said there was a brouhaha in his church when a group of people objected to the word potluck in reference to a church dinner. They said, we're Christians, we don't believe in luck, we believe in God's blessings. And they truly, they truly demanded that uh, the church change its terminology to be a pot blessing dinner instead of a (laughs) pot luck dinner. But here's my favorite. Here's my favorite. One preacher said uh, that a group of people in his church uh, was highly offended when deviled eggs were served at a church dinner. (laughs) They stood up and said, we're trying to keep the devil out of this church, and here you bring him in on a platter. (laughs) And these are all real, by the way. You can look them up for yourself. Now, we can laugh at the absurdity of these things, and they are funny, and they're ridiculous. But here's the thing. All it takes is one mocking comment, one sarcastic comment, one condescending comment between two people who disagree, and the whole thing ignites, and it no longer matters what they're arguing about because it has become personal. And when it becomes personal, when people feel offended, that's when you've got trouble. I want to take you back to the New Testament and show you a quarrel that ignited in the Philippian Church that became personal. Uh, Paul is writing in Philippians chapter four, verses two and three, and he says, "Now I appeal to you, Yodia and Syntyche, Please, because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreement." And I ask you, my true partner, to help these two women, for they worked hard with me in telling others the good news. They worked along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are written in the book of life. Now, this is one place in the Bible where we would love to have more information, right? We'd love to know what these two women were butting heads about, but we don't know that. However, here's what we do know. Number one, we know that their quarrel must have been very big and very public. And I say that because the Apostle Paul heard about it in his prison cell. Most scholars believe at this time Paul was in prison in Rome. And if he was, he was 4,000 miles away from where this quarrel was happening. And remember, these ladies are not posting their their anger on Facebook (laughs) or Twitter. And Paul is not sitting in his prison cell uh, following their argument on his iPad. No, he heard about this argument from a messenger. From a letter or a messenger that traveled 4,000 miles to come and tell him, man, we got these two women in our church and they're really going at it. I mean, it must have been a big argument. Another thing it tells you is that Yodia and Sintica were both really stubborn. Because this... this problem. This argument had been going on for months. By the time Paul hears about it, the messenger has taken months to travel those 4,000 miles. And the leaders of that church must have been at their wits end. They probably thought when this argument started that these two ladies would eventually work it out and things would get back to normal, but it wasn't happening. And so their message to Paul was, what do we do? And neither one of these two women will budge, and it's, and, and it's tearing up the church. And then the third thing we know about this argument is that it had a particularly tragic aspect to it. These women were not outsiders or fringe people in the church. They were part of the inner core. Paul said, these two women worked hard with me in telling others the good news. And I can tell you from experience in church work that if you have a quarrel between two people who are on the outer fringe of the church, and by that I mean they don't attend very often and they're not really involved in anything, they just kind of show up occasionally. If they're out on the fringe and they get into a quarrel, I mean... It's not that big of a deal. But when you have people in the core of the church, your main people who are here all the time and who are working and and serving, when you have an argument in the inner core of the church, you've got trouble. Because the first thing that happens in any kind of argument is the people involved start looking to their friends and sharing their story and trying to recruit people to their side. And when you get a situation where where you have people in the core of the church recruiting and people are choosing up sides, boy, that's, that's when you've got real problems. And friends, I have seen churches completely destroyed by quarrels. About three years ago, I walked up here to preach on a Sunday morning just like I did this morning, and I turned around and I looked out at you all like I do every week, and right, sitting right back there, I saw two dear friends that I didn't know were here, two people that I've known for 40 years, dear friends, and they surprised me. They were in town uh, for a conference, and they decided to come and worship here. And so I looked up and I saw them, I thought, oh man, it's going to be great when church is over. We get to catch up. Well, the thing you need to know about this particular fellow is that he um, is an elder in a church up north. And about fifteen years or so ago, he called me and tried to get me to come up there and be their preacher. And um, I didn't even uh, hesitate two minutes to say no. And Uh, I was happy here and still here to this day. But anyway, about 15 years ago, he called and tried to entice me uh, to come up there. So when we were visiting after the service, I said to him, man, how's the church doing? And of course, I was referring to the church that he tried to get me to come to. And he got a funny look on his face. And he said, well, we don't go there anymore. He said, actually... That church no longer exists. And friends, we're not talking about a little church of 40 or 50 people. We're talking about a church in the St. Louis area that was at least as large as this one, maybe larger. And he said, the church no longer existed. And I said, you've got to be kidding me. What happened? And he began to tell me a, a sad story about how the church became divided over a major issue. And people started choosing up sides. And a big segment of the church was angry enough to leave, and they left. And suddenly there weren't enough people in the church to pay the bills, to pay the mortgage on the building. And they had to uh, disband the whole thing and sell the property. And this is what he said. He said, Mark, the crazy thing is that it all happened so quickly. He said, once that snowball started rolling downhill, there was no stopping it. And so here's the thing. We can can chuckle about some of the things that people argue about, and they are funny. I told you these things because I knew you would laugh. But we have to understand that you get down into this issue, it really isn't funny. I mean, when we talk about church quarrels, we're talking about something that is truly deadly. Satan uses them to destroy the body of Christ. And so I want to spend the rest of my time this morning sharing with you God's advice on how to build and maintain a harmonious, quarrel-free church. Four things. First of all, God warns us to think before we jump into somebody else's disagreement. Titus chapter 3 and verse 9, the apostle Paul says, Do not get involved in foolish discussions about spiritual pedigrees or in quarrels or fights about obedience to Jewish laws. These things are useless and a waste of time. And I want you to notice that the words I have uh, uh, highlighted there are foolish, useless, and a waste of time. Listen. When somebody comes to you and tries to recruit you to join their crusade against some other church member, someone they disagree with, it is critical at that moment that you use your head and think about what's going on. Think about what you're hearing. Think about the danger. I'm going to suggest to you that there's a 95% chance that what this person is sharing with you, what this person is angry about, is going to have nothing to do with you it's going to be personal between that person and someone else. And more likely, it's going to be counterproductive to the cause of Christ. And you need to stay out of it. This is how it happens. One person recruits another, recruits another, recruits another. Suddenly you've got 25, 40, 50 people in the church who are angry. The way you stop that is you stay out of those conversations. When somebody walks up to you and says, Man, I'm angry. Let me tell you what's going on. You need to back up. And you need to say, you know what, I don't want to hear this. This doesn't concern me. I'm not involved in this. That's where it falls apart so many times. Because we want to sympathize with our friends. And we want to throw an arm around their shoulder and say, oh man, I know what you mean. I know, I don't blame you for being angry. And when you say that, you're involved. You've taken a side. This is where it has to stop when somebody comes to you and starts talking and laying out their anxiety and their anger and their frustration, it does not concern you, you stay out of it. Paul says, do not get involved. Secondly, God challenges us to help people who are embroiled in a disagreement. Remember the quarrel between Yodia and Sintica. Paul said, help these two women. Because they worked hard with me in telling others the good news. People who have locked horns in a big argument have probably lost perspective. Maybe when the conversation started, it was over a legitimate disagreement, maybe on principle, they just had different opinions. But the longer that thing goes, you know, it kind of deteriorates. And the first thing you know, it's getting petty. And people are making comments about each other, and name-calling, and mudslinging, and it just kind of gets messy, and you realize, wait a minute, this has gone too far. And when that happens, people lose perspective. And they need help working through their differences. Now, in the church, it's the elders who are responsible for doing that, for stepping in. They are the shepherds of the flock. They are the guardians of the family. It is their job when there's, a, when there's an argument in the church to step in and help the people uh, work their way through and, and get to a peaceful, harmonious uh, place. But you may be able to help too. If you're in a situation and you hear somebody ranting and they're angry and they're talking down some other member of the church, I mean, that's an opportunity for you to speak up. And you don't have to get involved in the argument, but you could say, you know what, this isn't very Christ-like. You know what, this is not good for what we're trying to do here. I mean, you could put in a good word to try to help bring about peace. Thirdly, God says to put people out of the church if they persist in causing trouble. Again, Titus chapter 3 says, If people are causing divisions among you, give a first and second warning. And after that, have nothing more to do with them. For people like that have turned away from the truth, and their own sins condemn them. And you might say, boy, that's harsh. And it is. You know what, though? You don't heal cancer with a Band-Aid. And make no mistake, people who are argumentative, people who are quarrelsome and keep the church torn up all the time, they are a cancer. And they have to be removed if they don't repent. And then finally, God says to keep the real purpose of the church in mind. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul says, I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ, to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church. Rather, be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. When two people become embroiled in a big argument, that is drawing other people in and affecting the life of the church, I will guarantee you that both those people and really probably the church as a whole is going to lose sight of why we're really here. And why we're really here is to glorify God and to seek and save the lost. And the more people are drawn into the argument, the more the church will drift away from its true purpose. I know a preacher, and by the way, this is a true story, a preacher who took a ministry with a church that was well known for being a quarrelsome church. They had chewed up and spit out some young ministers, several in a row. And this was an older man. He was just a few years from retirement, and he had decided that he wanted to use his final years in ministry to try to bring some peace uh, to this quarrelsome congregation. And so he moved to that town, and he uh, started his work at the church, and he quickly discovered um, that the baptistry, the area where people are baptized, the baptistry tank was empty, didn't have any water in it. Actually, it wasn't empty. It had Christmas decorations in it. The church's Christmas decorations. There was no water, but it was full of Christmas decorations. And he thought that was a little strange, and so he asked one of the leaders of the church why the baptistry didn't have water in it and why it was full of Christmas decorations. And the man said, well, we needed a place to put the Christmas decorations, and we haven't had a baptism here in a couple of years, and we just decided... That we would drain the water out of the baptistry and put the Christmas decorations in there. Friends, that's that's what happens when you have a quarrelsome church. Two years can go by without anybody accepting Christ, two years can go by without anybody being baptized into Christ, and no one is alarmed. How does that happen? How do do two years go by without one person coming to Christ? And nobody is alarmed. It happens because people have forgotten and they've completely lost sight of the purpose of the church. They're more concerned about their, their petty opinions and their pet peeves and their complaints. My challenge to you today is so simple. Don't quarrel. And I'm not telling you you can't have an opinion. You can have any opinion you want. Any opinion you want. If there are, and you know what? You're free to express those opinions, but I would suggest that you express them to the proper authorities. Right, amen. If you want to come up to me and share an opinion of something you don't like about what we're doing, I'm happy to hear it. And I won't judge you. I'll just let you say whatever you want to say, and I'll be nice. I will. Some of you know I'm, I'm nice at those moments because you've told me about a lot of things you don't like. And I've never mistreated you for having uh, an opinion. Our elders are the same way. They're happy to hear what you think. You're, you're, you're entitled to have an opinion. Mike would be glad to hear your opinions. In fact, I would just say this about your future senior minister. Um, if you have complaints, I would suggest you just go ahead and start taking them to him right now because, yeah, because uh, he needs the practice. And um, I'll hear about that one tomorrow, let me tell you. You can have an opinion, of course you can. And express it to someone in leadership, of course. But understand that just because you have an opinion doesn't mean we're going to drop everything and, and change the whole church to make you happy. we got 400, 500 people that come to this church. And we can't constantly be changing everything just because one person has a complaint. Understand that the church is never going to be exactly the way you want it to be in every respect. There's never going to be a time when everything is perfect around here. Just the way you want it. There may be people in the church that, that you don't get along with that well. It's okay. When you find yourself in that situation, show some maturity. Agree to disagree. But whatever you do, watch your mouth. Don't quarrel. Let's stand.